You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be together. Uh, My name is Justin Shump, and I help serve with the uh, college ministries here and also with the youth ministries, the high school ministries. Uh, we had a super fun youth family night on Friday for those who uh, were able to go. We did a little kind of minute to win it game night. Uh, and I've got some hilarious videos of some of the parents. Uh, I've got some great ones of Carrie and Steve. So if you want to see some, some funny videos, feel free to uh, come talk to me and I will gladly show you some. Um, you know, we've been doing this uh, church series titled Outcast. And kind of the goal is to look at different people who Jesus interacted with in the Bible who would be considered outcasts. Uh, And, you know, these lessons have been a little bit more gritty. We're kind of looking at uh, some of the more controversial stories in the Bible, uh, some of the more controversial people that that Jesus interacted with. You know, simultaneously, we've had the amazing pleasure of having uh, Kit Cummings do our midweek lessons. Uh, And we've been kind of following this same theme. You know, Kit's a gritty guy. (laughs) He's got some gritty stories, and uh, he's lived a lot of life. And it's really been great having him and seeing the ways that he has interacted with so many people who would be considered outcasts. So we're going to go ahead and uh, pick up in Luke chapter 18 today. Uh, Our main passage will be in Luke 19, uh, and it will be uh, Jesus and his disciples, and they've been traveling on the road, and they finally get to the city of Jericho. And so we'll we'll pick up in 19. We want to start in chapter 18, uh, because I think it's always nice to kind of see, okay, what what was going on before we kind of jump into the main story? Uh, what was on the mind of Jesus? What was on the mind of the disciples? Uh, so you go ahead and open up to uh, Luke chapter 18. And we're going to read a very few short passages, uh, and then we'll get to our main passage. Sound good? All right, so this is Luke 18, verse 9. Jesus is telling a parable. He says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay, so this is one of more Jesus' kind of radical head-turning parables, right? You have this Pharisee who was kind of the religious leader, uh, a.k.a. maybe a a good Christian or, in your eyes, a good religious person. And then you've got a tax collector who's who's scum of the earth, the outcast, uh, the taker, the abuser. And they both enter a synagogue, and it says that the tax collector, he, he has this humility, right? He beats his chest, and he says, God, have mercy on me. And the Pharisee is, is prideful. He says, God, look how amazing I am. Look how awesome I am. And Jesus said, well, this tax collector, he actually walked away righteous. It's a crazy story. Okay, now skip down to um, verse 18. We're still in Luke 18, verse 18. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. 
No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Okay, so Jesus tells this parable of of the Pharisee and the tax collector, and then they have this interaction with this, this rich young ruler. And again, this is on their way to Jericho. They're on this journey. And so there's two things that are on the mind of Jesus' followers, of his disciples as they're traveling with him. The first is that tax collectors, if they display humility, will become followers of God and are more righteous than the religious elite. First thing on their mind. Second thing on their mind is that it is really hard for wealthy people to follow Jesus because it requires radical repentance. So tax collectors will display humility and be followers of God, and it's very hard for wealthy people to follow Jesus because it requires radical repentance. So these two things were on the minds of the disciples at the end of chapter 18. And so with this also on our mind, let's read chapter 19, the story of Zacchaeus. You know, the title of my lesson today is Out on a Limb. We're going to be reading in, in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, As Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. You know, what an incredible story. You know, this man Zacchaeus, it says that he was a a tax collector, right? And if you know a little bit about the context, uh, the historical context at this time, is that Israel was under uh, Roman occupation. 
and they were taxing the citizens heavily. And so what the Roman government would do is they would recruit Jewish citizens and kind of turn them against their own people and turn them into these tax collectors. And a lot of times these tax collectors were corrupt. They would take more than what was required so they themselves could become wealthy. And this guy, this guy Zacchaeus, it says he was the chief, right? He was the boss. He was El Jefe, El Chapo. He's the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, the scum of the earth. You know, for some reason, we don't know exactly why, he knew who Jesus was, and, and he wanted to see him. And so he hears that Jesus has finally made it to Jericho, and he runs to go see him. And, you know, Jesus was kind of, he was kind of this local celebrity, right? There was all this talk about Jesus, and, and this guy with his followers are coming to Jericho, and some probably, you know, he did some crazy stuff in other towns, so maybe some crazy stuff is going to happen here. And so he had be, kind of become this, this local celebrity. And so if anyone ever met a famous person before, Okay, it's L.A., right? We, City of the Stars. We've got famous people all around. There might be even some famous people here today. You might never know. Chuka's kind of famous. Yeah, you're famous. So you know that feeling when you see a famous person? And, like, all rational thought goes out of your mind, and you turn into a crazy person, because you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so-and-so. And you have this, like, adrenaline rush. You're like, oh, do I go meet them? Like, do I say hi? Do I call them by their first name or their last name? Or what do I, like, what do I do? Maybe you've kind of experienced that before. You know, I think Zacchaeus probably had this, this same experience of, of this local celebrity, this Jesus guy is coming to town. He's like, oh, okay, well, I got, I got to see him. I got to meet him. You know, I kind of have this weird thing. I've actually met a good amount of famous people in my life. Uh, most of them completely random, like just without a dinner and, and someone was sitting there. And so I kind of compiled this list of different famous people that I, that I met. Uh, and there's like about like a little over 50 people on that list. Um, and so I'm going to share a few of them with you guys today. I've kind of condensed it down to the more, more famous ones. There's some who are kind of, you know, it's debatable. Um, but uh, these are some of the famous people that I met. So I met Wiz Khalifa, I met at the Grove, uh, Paul Abdul, and there's a good mix of kind of older, younger people, uh, Machine Gun Kelly, Kid Rock, DJ Khaled, Kenzie was with me for that one, uh, Kendrick Lamar, Pete Carroll, Andre Agassi, Jack Nicholas, Ryan Braun, Dusty Baker, Hank Aaron. That was one of the favorite people I've ever met. Uh, a few basketball players, Steve Nash, Andrew Bynum. I actually met him twice, once in a movie theater and once at a restaurant. Uh, Lamar Odom, Pal Gasol, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, Trevor Ariza, Montrez Harrell. Steve and I were at UCL. We met him in the in a hallway. Uh, Michael Cooper, Jerry West. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, met a few actors, Tim Robbins, Eddie Murphy, Will Ferrell, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis. I actually met, he's the only one I met during quarantine. He was literally just sitting in a huge SUV parked near my house. I just walked, I was walking to the store and he was just sitting there. I was like, you're Bruce Willis. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm just sitting here. It was really weird. Um, <laughs> um, but probably, uh, probably the, my favorite person I've ever met uh, is an actor named Andrew Lincoln. Uh, and if you guys don't know who he is, he played Rick Grimes on The Walking Dead. Uh, that was my favorite TV show. Watched all the seasons. Uh, and he was one guy where I was like, man, if I ever met him, that would be amazing. And so this was kind of my one Zacchaeus story where, you know, a lot of these other famous people kind of randomly ran into. Uh, but I was down in San Diego, and San Diego has this thing called Comic-Con where, yeah, Comic-Con. Um, and uh, 
I don't, I mean, the best way to describe it is if you're a nerd in any way, Comic-Con is like amazing. And so any type of popular TV shows, uh, anything that is popular in culture is going to be at Comic-Con. And so I love watching the Comic-Con stuff and tuning into stuff. And so The Walking Dead always has a panel. So I had a friend who worked at the Hotel Del Coronado, which is a super nice hotel. And a lot of times the Comic-Con actors stay there. And so my buddy worked there, and I was actually in Coronado, and he texted me and said, uh, the cast of The Walking Dead just rented surfboards. They're here. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. i gotta find, I got to find Andrew Lincoln. He said, I think they might be hanging out at the pool. So at the Hotel Dell, it's, pretty, it's hard to get into the pool area. You have to have a key. It's all kind of locked down. So I'm like, okay, i got to find a way to sneak into the pool. And so I'm, kind of, I'm looking in the pool, and I'm seeing a few of the other actors. I see Chandler Riggs uh, and Kari Payton and Denai Gurry and a few of the other actors but I'm looking for Andrew Lincoln, right? I'm sure Zacchaeus, he kind of, maybe he saw Peter, maybe he saw the disciples. He's like, no, no, I got to find, I got to find Jesus. So I sneak into the pool area. I kind of pretended like I was with this family and I kind of walked in, um, walk, I'm not wearing any like pool clothes or anything. So I walk in and I'm like looking around and I don't see him anywhere. And there's kind of this main pool and I'm like, oh man, I really want to meet him. So then I walk over to the jacuzzi and there's this just beautiful man just sitting in the jacuzzi uh, with his family. And it was Andrew Lincoln, and I was totally starstruck. And I'm like, well, I, I got to meet this guy. So I walk over to the jacuzzi, and I take my shirt off and just get in just in my clothes because I'm like, this is the only way I'm going to get to chat with him. Um, so I, so right, I kind of sit down, and he stands up. And I'm like, oh, shoot. So he stands up and starts walking away, and I ran up behind him and, and introduced myself. Uh, and it was an amazing experience. I was fangirling really, really hard. <laughs> um, but that was kind of my, my Zacchaeus story of, of, of this figure, wanting to see him and wanting to meet him. I don't know why you're clapping, but the campus students, they just clap. They're very supportive. This lesson could go downhill and they'd still be clapping. I love you guys. <laughs> but Zacchaeus, he really wanted to meet Jesus. But here's what's crazy about this story, is that instead of Zacchaeus making that extra effort to go see Jesus, well, what happens in this story? Jesus goes and finds him, and he knows his name, and he calls him by his name, because he knew him. And I mean, I mean that is, is incredible. You know, if you went through the list of names I've just shared of all these random famous people I met, you know, I can tell you the story of how I met each person, right? If you were to ask me, oh, how did you meet Pau Gasol? I'd say, oh, I was sitting at an ice cream shop in Manhattan Beach, and he was sitting at this Greek restaurant. And I was like, oh, there's Pau Gasol. So I went up and, and said hi to him. And if you asked, how did you meet Kendrick Lamar? I'd say, oh, well, I actually found out where he lived, and I knocked on his door. And he got really mad. And I'll I tell that full story later. But if you asked any of these people, if they remembered me, they would all say no. If you walked up to any of the people on that list and said, hey, do you remember meeting Justin Shump? They would look at you really confused and be like, I have no idea who you're talking about. You know, I remember all of them. I know all of their names, but none of them know me. And that's what's so crazy about this story in the Bible. You know, this would be like you're sitting at, at the Laker game, right? I think they're up 2-1, right? They're doing pretty good. Our Lakers are pulling through. So you're sitting at, you, somehow you get tickets and you get COVID tests and you're sitting at the Laker game 
and it's fourth quarter, and then LeBron just stops. And he, he drops the ball, and then he starts walking through the crowd, and then he just looks at you. He's like, hey, Anthony. What, me? Yeah, you. What's up, dude? How are you? I want to stay at your house tonight. Now, obviously, that would never happen. I mean, maybe Anthony, maybe you tie with LeBron. But that's what happened in this story. I mean, the celebrity left the crowd, left the attention, and approached Zacchaeus. And he knew his name. You know, how amazing it is when someone knows our name. But how humiliating it is when someone doesn't, right? You ever had that experience when you walk up to someone who you know you've met before and you're like, hey, good to see you. And they're like, yeah, nice to meet you. And you're like, oh, man. And it's embarrassing. You know, the uh, uh, Kit Cummings, he's been doing our, our midweek lessons. And, you know, obviously he's kind of become like a little local celebrity here. He's got this crazy story. He's an awesome guy. And so he was in person this past week. And so uh, us as the church staff, we've had various Zoom meetings with him. We've got to know him. And so we went out to dinner with him on Wednesday. And so we show up, and he's there. And he's like, oh, hey, Rachel, hey, great to see you. And, oh, Kenny, the smiling man. Like, yeah, good to see you, bro. And, and Steve and Carrie, oh, yeah, yeah. So I walked up, and I'm like, hey, Kit. And he goes, hey, oh, it's nice to meet you. What's your name? And I was like, oh, come on, really? Like, come on, I think I'm a little more memorable than Kenny, but, like, really? But it's hard, right? It's hard when you kind of feel like you know someone and they don't know your name. But how amazing is it when someone knows your name? You know, Jesus, he approaches Zacchaeus. He says, I'm staying at your house. And he goes and, and he dines with him. And then what happens, it says the crowd starts to mutter. And they say, Jesus, you've gone to be the house, in the house of a sitter. And this is one thing that Jesus was accused of many times over and over again, was associating with sinners, was welcoming sinners, welcoming prostitutes and tax collectors and, and the outcasts, the lowly. You know, the crowds, they always like to mutter about the sinners. It's why we have tabloids. It's why we have news, right? We love harping on people's failures. You know, I was growing up in school. Uh, I went to school with a girl named Jay. Now, Jay is not her real name because I want to respect her privacy. It's a nickname. But she was given this label of sinner. She would be what you'd call a modern-day sinner. Uh, she was kicked out of our middle school, seventh grade, for bringing alcohol to school. Uh, she had brought some vodka and a water bottle, and this administration found it, and they kicked her out. And everyone knew about this girl. Uh, she was that girl. You know, there's usually a few people in your high school who kind of have that label. And she had that label. People would talk bad about her, about the stuff she'd do with guys, uh, about different alcohol or drugs that she would do. So she got kicked out of our middle school, but she ended up getting transferred back into our high school. And it was the same thing. I had an English class with her, and a few of the girls I sat around, she sat on the other side of the room, and they would always just, just, just trash on her. And they would talk behind her back, and they would gossip about her. You know, I remember uh, I went to a football game kind of early on in the semester, uh, and at that time, my high school, a lot of the kids were uh, abusing Xanax. They were snorting Xanax bars, and it was kind of just wigging people out. That was like the popular drug to do, uh, kind of among the freshmen. So I remember seeing her. I went to this taco restaurant after, and she was wandering in the middle of a busy intersection, just high out of her mind. 
had no idea what was going on. And, and the next day, I mean, at school, I remember everyone was talking about just how foolish she looked. No one had anything good to say. You know, later that year, I ended up, I had to go to the principal's office for something. Long story. Another time. And she was sitting there. And I had never really interacted with her. And this was my first interaction. It was kind of like one of those, hey, what are you here for? And she's like, what are you here for? And she was getting kicked out of our high school. Because she had been doing drugs in the bathroom and they found her. So she got kicked out of her high school. Uh, I, I finished off my freshman year. I actually ended up transferring high school. So I transferred over to Culver City High School. And obviously lost touch with this girl. We weren't close. So I'm sitting, this is about late September of my sophomore year, and I get a text, and it was her. And she said, hey, Justin, this is Jay, and, and I want to let you know I've, I'm six months sober, and I'm looking for people to hang out with who are going to be good influences, and, and I know that you're a Christian, and so maybe we can hang out sometime. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, wh- why is this girl texting me? Like, I've never talked to this girl a whole bunch. Like, wh- like okay, what do I do? And so I remember I was with my parents, and I was like, I, I don't really know how to respond to this. Like, should I hang out with this girl? Like, I've never dealt with someone like this. And, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, maybe invite her to the football game. So I said, hey, you want to come to the football game on Friday at our school? And she said, no, I'm not really ready to be around a lot of people. I said, okay, well, we've also got church on Sunday if, if you want to come to church. And she said, sure, I'll come to church with you. I was like, okay, cool. So I went, and we, and we picked her up for church, and this is we were meeting uh, at Jams Middle School. Some of you guys remember that. Uh, down the road, um, and she comes to church with me, and, and we're sitting there, and about 20 minutes into service, she she walked out, um, and I had no idea where she went. So next, next thing you know, an usher comes up to me, and is like, hey, Justin, your friend is smoking cigarettes in the courtyard, and this is a school. Like, we can't be smoking cigarettes here. So I'm like, oh, gosh, who did I bring to church? Like, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get to school in trouble. I don't want to get to church in trouble. And so I walk out, and, and, and I asked her, I said, hey, what's going on? She said, well, I'm really enjoying the service, but the guy in the third row kind of looks like the guy who assaulted me. Obviously, that was not the guy. Uh, This happened when she was living in Arizona. But he he had similar features, and so she just couldn't handle being in the room. It's at the moment I thought, wow, this girl's got a lot more to her story than I know. A lot more than most people know. So she finished her cigarette. She could put down some cigarettes. I've never seen people smoke cigarettes this fast. She could plow through a pack. So she started coming out to teen events, and she started studying the Bible, and she came to church a few more times. And we had this event uh, at my house. A bunch of kids from my high school came over, and a bunch of the teens from, from the youth ministry all came over. And there was a girl from my high school, from my previous high school, who actually came. And she saw that Jay was there. So she walked up to me, I said, Justin, do you know who's in your house? Who let that girl in? Why is she here? Do you know what she's done? And I, I, was, I was taken aback. You know, she was an outcast. You know, more and more she told me about her story, how she had been bullied a lot, how she had been emotionally abused by her family. And she was damaged. You know, she told me 
she thought the only reason I invited her to church was so I could have sex with her. She couldn't think of any other reason why I would want to spend time with her. So we developed this friendship, and she got to know a lot of people in the church, and she started doing a lot better. And on Halloween, she, she relapsed. She relapsed on alcohol. And I didn't hear from her for a few weeks. So about three weeks goes by, and then I finally get a, a voicemail. And it was her, and she had ended up relapsing on drugs. She went to Hollywood uh, and was smoking methamphetamine. Um, and she had stolen a co- or she stole a taxi, um, and so the cops were looking for her. Uh, and it was, just, it was just insane. It's like that of a movie. Uh, and she told me that her parents were shipping her out to another drug rehab facility the next day. So she got sent to Colorado, and she was in this drug rehab facility. And we would talk on the phone almost every week. She would have some phone time, and so she would call me, uh, and I would read scriptures with her, and we would talk about God and, and kind of talk about her progress and talk about how she was doing. And she started to do really well, and she started to improve and, and, and make a lot of strides with her recovery. And so after about a few months, this goes by, and then radio silence again. I don't hear from her. Uh, she was only able to call me, and so I had no idea what happened. So about a year later, I get another text. And it was her, and she was back in L.A., and so she called me on the phone. She told me that she had escaped from that <clears throat> drug rehab center in Colorado uh, and had been living on the streets. And the only way she could get by, because she had been using meth again, was to become a prostitute. And so that's what she did. She was living on the streets and, and had become a prostitute in the streets of Colorado. It was the only way she could make money. And she told me that she was coming to L.A. for a few days, and she wanted to see me. She wanted to hang out. And in my heart, I was conflicted. You know, obviously I wanted to see her. I wanted to hear how she was doing and how life was. But as a 17-year-old kid, I had never hung out with a prostitute before. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, how is this going to look? What if someone sees me? Are my parents going to be okay with this? Like, hey, mom, I'm going to go hang out with my prostitute friend. I'll be back at eight. Like, is that cool? Like, I don't know. I mean, if you were a parent, would you let your son go do that? How would you have felt? You know, what if someone from my high school sees me with her? What if someone from church sees me? And so I was conflicted with this question of, was I going to go be a guest with a sinner? You know, growing up in church, you constantly hear this story. You hear the story of Zacchaeus and so many others of people, of Jesus going and being the guest of sinners, of dining with sinners the tax collectors, the prostitutes. And, you know, we all in our pride think that, yeah, if I was ever given an opportunity, for sure I would do the, great, the right thing. I would go dine with the sinners. Of course I would. But, you know, in that moment, I felt so conflicted. So I talked to my parents, and I prayed a little bit, and I decided to go. And so we went and we, we, we went to the beach and we sat on the beach and talked for a little bit. And then I took her to this hole-in-the-wall pizza joint uh, where they had $3 slices of pizza. It was down in Hermosa Beach. And I bought her a, a piece of pizza 
and, and we sat and we talked. And still in my mind, I thought, man, what, what's going to happen if someone walks in here and sees me? Like, okay, what, how, what could I, okay, I could have the answers ready. And I could say, well, you know, because I was so just afraid of what the crowd might mutter. You know, this sheltered church kid is sitting down and having pizza with a prostitute. I would have never thought I'd be sitting there. And so we sat in that restaurant, and, and, and she told me about her life, how she had been living on the streets, how she'd abusing meth, and how she eventually met a pimp who, who let her work for her. And she was living in a, a one-bedroom motel room with 12 other girls. And she told me what she had seen, what she had done, and it was heartbreaking. I mean, I mean, a 16-year-old girl who was kind and, and funny and smart, and she spoke four languages, and she was amazing at math, meth, I'm sorry, math, and she was smoking meth, and she was living on the streets, working as a prostitute. You know, right as we were finishing up dinner, she just got really, really quiet. And then she looked at me and she just said, thank you. I said, well, for what? And she said, this is the nicest meal I've ever had with a man. She said, this is the first time in my entire life that a man has given me something and didn't ask for anything in return. I mean, I bought her a $3 slice of pizza. And that was the nicest she had ever been treated. And that was the last time I saw her. She moved back and I haven't heard from her since. You know, after that meal, I understood why Jesus went and he dined with the sinners. I understood why he wanted to stay at Zacchaeus' house. You see, the name Zacchaeus in Hebrew, it means pure. And how ironic a name for a chief tax collector. The worst of the worst. But you know what we see from this story is that beneath that sin, beneath that greed, was this pure-hearted man who just wanted to see Jesus. I mean, what's more childlike-hearted than just to climb a tree? To say, I don't care what I look like. I just want to see Jesus. You know, as I sat down and had dinner with a young prostitute who the world would call a sinner, a failure, I couldn't help but see a young girl where deep down was a pure heart who was just starving for even the smallest amount of love. 
And so we can look at this. We can look at the passages we've read and say, okay, well, where, where do we find ourselves in all of this? What does it mean for us? You know, we started in Luke 18. The disciples are on this road to Jericho. And he tells this story, this, this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And after that, they, they have this interaction with the rich young ruler. And so I can't help but think at the end of Luke 18 that his disciples were probably feeling doubtful, probably feeling a little discouraged. I mean, this, this, this parable of, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I mean, a, a tax collector being more righteous than a Pharisee? I mean, come on, Jesus. I know you use some extreme examples in your parables, but what? This one's not adding up. I'm sure it was on their mind. What? Simultaneously, they're thinking about this rich man who, who approached Jesus and wanted eternal life, but went away sad. Because the cost of following Christ was too much for him. Jesus said, sell your possessions. And in their mind, they're probably thinking, yeah, no rich person would ever sell their possessions. That would never happen. So as chapter 18 ends, two things on their mind. A tax collector would never be so humble. And a rich person would never give up their possessions to follow Jesus. And then guess what happens in chapter 19? We meet Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector who was humble enough to climb a tree and radical enough to sell his possessions. I mean, this is incredible. I'm sure the disciples and the followers were blown away. If you know what's on their mind at the end of chapter 18. You see, I don't think Zacchaeus was just this random character. I think Jesus chose him. That's why he knew his name. This man had a purpose, and it was for so much more than just Zacchaeus' life. You see, I think Jesus chose him to build the faith of the crowds, to build the faith of the disciples. Jesus had to prove that a tax collector could be humble. He wasn't just going to tell a parable about it. Jesus had to prove that a wealthy person would sell their possessions and give to the poor. He wasn't just going to let someone walk away and let that be the example they kept in their mind. And so Jesus sees Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. Because he wanted people to see that his teaching, his parables, are not just supposed to be religion. These are not just nice fortune cookies that we can read and say, okay, yeah, that's good. I agree with that. Cool. Nice. And then put it away. You know, he wanted his followers to believe that these things could be real. And I can't help but believe that he wants the same thing for us. You see, in the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector, Jesus taught his disciples that humility is always going to win over religious pride. And when we look at the past year, have we not learned that same lesson? Have we not seen the power of humility? Have we not been disgusted by religious pride? 
You know, in the story of the rich young ruler, we find a man who wanted eternal life, but the cost was too great. And so he walked away sad. And when we look at the past year, have we not seen the same thing? People wanting community, wanting love. They want to know Jesus, but it just feels like it costs too much. It's too difficult. It's too complicated. It's too controversial. And so after interacting with the church, or after interacting with Christ for a time, they walk away sad and discouraged and defeated. Have we not seen that this past year? Are we not like the disciples entering Jericho? Are we not right at the end of chapter 18? We've been taught to embrace humility. We've seen the negative effects of religious pride. And we've seen a lot of people walk away sad. And so right now, I believe we are at the end of chapter 18. And so you know what that means? That means chapter 19 is coming. That means there are some Zacchaeuses coming. That means that we're going to have to go out and meet some Zacchaeuses. You know, there are going to be people around us who will do anything to get a glimpse of Jesus. And chances are they will not be who we expect. You know, many times I had read about Jesus dining with prostitutes and and dining with tax collectors, but I never thought I would do the same. I never thought I would actually do that. Because I never thought I would have that opportunity. But, you know, I do believe that, that God is going to put people in our lives and he's going to give us opportunities to dine with the sinners. The least of these. And with this amazing opportunity next Saturday, we're going to go out and just serve the homeless. We're just going to talk to people. What a perfect opportunity to find some Zacchaeuses, some outcasts who just need to talk. You know, it's amazing that, that these parables, these things we read in Scripture, we get to actually live them out. We get to actually experience them. You know, I 100% believe that we are on this cusp. We're turning the page onto chapter 19. As the economy opens, as schools get back, as workplaces get back, we're going to be around a lot of people. We've seen the power of humility. We've seen the negative effects of religious pride. And we've seen a lot of people walk away sad. We are ready for chapter 19. You know, I don't know if it's going to be today that God puts someone in your life. I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, a year from now, ten years from now. I don't know. But when that day comes, we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be willing to invite people in? Are we going to be willing to dine with sinners? Are we going to be willing to push the boundaries of love for people? Will we go out on a limb to seek and save 
lost? I hope the answer is yes. I love you guys. Thank you for letting me speak today. See you guys next week. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.